Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, John Siegley. I am joined for this one by Mr. Buck Sanders, Mr. Jason Staples, and Mr. EJ Wilson. We are sponsored, as always, by Giant T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. Keeping with the theme of this week, Inside Carolina got a couple of exclusive interviews with the coordinators. They had a podcast just yesterday that covered the interview that Buck did with offensive coordinator Phil Longo. Tonight, we are going to be talking about the one that Buck and Ross did with defensive coordinator Jay Bateman. All those prior podcasts are available through the Inside Carolina podcast feed. You can get that just through your however you get your podcast. Guys, thanks a lot for joining me tonight. The interview itself with Bateman was awesome. I really enjoyed hearing his thoughts. I thought that would be fun to kind of start this off with a little bit of a, of a pop quiz because the four of us haven't um, congregated since the end of the season. I'm going to go around the room here, and I just want a rating 1 through 10. How do you think Bateman did during his first year? Buck, since you're our main guy, you get to give your answer first. Yeah, I, I would put it at at least an eight. Uh, if if you take into consideration the injuries they had in defensive backfield, which when Bateman got into this year's team, the comments he had about the defensive backfield, I thought were pretty enlightening. But, uh, you know, the year before they were 88th in SP+. Plus. They finished the year in 44th. Uh, ranked 44th in SP plus. So you know, they made a, a pretty impressive leap forward despite all of the injuries they had. So, uh, you know, I, I'm going to give him a, a solid B plus a minus, uh, at least. And, uh, Jason may even do better than that. I don't know, but at least that I would say. All right, let's hear it, Jason. So I'd say about an eight, eight point five. Um, I know there's some things that that Bateman would have liked to have had go a little bit better in terms of his own, uh, in terms of how his defense performed. I think a lot of it really though does come down to those injuries, and uh, and you know they, they had their they had their hands tied really early in the season, just because of what they couldn't do in the secondary. I mean he they they were uh, they were cobbling together lineups back there and that means and he mentioned it on the on the podcast on the interview that they they were asking linebackers to basically play the the coverage roles that normally you'd have uh have an extra defensive back on the field to to play or uh in other cases you know they're, they're limited to certain coverages because they know that guy can't cover that guy uh you know even with the corners that they had on the on the field or which, which guy was at nickel or not even having having a nickel or which matchup at safety there was because of an injury here or there. So that really limited him. And so, you know, you do have to kind of grade on a curve there. Uh, And I think that what they got out of their linebackers in particular was way beyond what I would have expected coming into the year. Uh, Even though I was pretty bullish on Surratt's potential because of how good an athlete he was. I mean, he outperformed anything I would have, I would have expected as did uh, you know, the rest of that, that group. So, you know, I think overall, I'd say an 80, 80, you know, 85 out of 100, you know, 8.5 out of 10 is is about where I'd put it. Uh, the One of the reasons that I would say I, I'd hold that back a little bit is I would have wanted to see a little bit more rotation 
of some some bodies, some of the uh, the younger bodies at different points. Uh, I felt like there there were times where there were opportunities not to get some of the uh, get say Strobridge and Crawford, for example, some extra snaps here and there. And I I don't think that they did quite as good a job of stealing some reps there to help a few of the younger guys develop and also uh, and also make sure that they kept the load off of some of those guys at different points. But some of that's just due to not having guys ready. So again, you know, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But I'd say 8.5 is a solid number for me. All right, DJ, you're up, man. How do you rate last season's performance? I think I'll go about the same as the other guys. I mean, I'm going to go in there in the eight-ish. Uh, I'll probably say, honestly, about an 8.7 because I feel like Coach Bateman came in and did what the, the one thing that may, kind of brought some concern to my mind, and that, is that was he got the players to buy in. You didn't see guys – I mean, of course you saw some guys make some mental mental mistakes, which is going to come when you're trying to get a new system down packed and maybe you haven't played as much. Uh, you're playing more now than you played in the past. But those guys legitimately believed in what Coach Bateman was trying to do. And, and as you heard him say on the podcast, he wasn't able to open up his playbook and be an ag- as aggressive as he wanted to with some of his pressures and some of his coverage. But I think guys are seeing that now. And, and the fact that you don't have to go in this year and reteach everything, you can kind of get into some of the fine details. You can more, you can cater your pressures and your coverages more so to the personnel that you had. So I agree with him when he said that there's going to be a big improvement from year year one to year two. Through my personal experience, uh, when we got new defensive coordinators and we we had one new, new defensive coordinator when Coach Davis got in, then Coach Pagano left uh, to go to the NFL, and we had another defensive coordinator come in. So instant buy-in is what you're going to need. So I, I, that's what he got. Of course, we didn't really see what his defensive scheme uh, to its full potential because of, because of some of the injuries. But as Jason mentioned, I, I do think they could have did a better job of getting some of those guys ready. So, uh, but I did like what I see. I like what I heard from the interview. So overall, I'll give them an eight point seven because I mean it's not easy to get a group of eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old kids to, to buy into something, especially when it's so different from what they've been doing before. Yeah, I'm definitely with you guys. I think that high eighties is about right. Because you know, I don't think anyone really expected the defense to be that good, especially considering that going in, a lot of fans thought that there was kind of going to be some games where UNC did shut it down, but others where they did just unfortunately, you know, give up a lot of points to the opponents. But over the course of the season, they were pretty even keeled. I do think it's in- interesting, though, that all three of you guys touched upon, you know, the depth and going into next season and especially the part about the rotations, because Buck, I think Bateman addressed that very early on during the interview. We talked about how they were losing kind of some of their key guys, Strobridge and Crawford there in the interior on the defensive line. We all know how important the defensive line is to the entire defensive scheme. And just, you know, they kind of are that first line where you have to win if, if you're going to be successful. So when you were hearing Bateman talk about, you know, his plans, to kind of accommodate and deal with losing two key contributors. What were your thoughts when he was outlining how he's going to focus on that next season? Well, I, I love his confidence and uh, you know, he's a very confident guy and you will never hear him say a discouraging word about anybody on the team. Uh, he talks up his guys. I think that's a very positive thing. But as confident as, as Coach Bateman is, and he's to be commended for that, you know, I, 
I don't think all of my concerns about next year's defensive line have been alleviated. Um, you know, the, you lose a guy like Strobridge, which Bateman's pretty candid in. You just don't plug and play a guy like, uh, you know, uh, Jason Strobridge. And, you know, Aaron Crawford was a really good, you know, run stopper. So it, it's going to be tough to replace those guys on the interior. Uh, you're going to do it with a couple of redshirt freshmen. Um, and, and obviously, uh, I mean, the, the two coming in was behind the depth up front, uh, Tamari Fox and, uh, Jaleel Taylor and, uh, Ray Vahasek, I assume are going to be the starters next year and let until we see better, um, hopefully, you know, some of the young guys will be able to contribute somebody like KBJ. Uh, Kendrick Bingley Jones to those uh, not familiar, but uh, because he's here in January, so maybe he'll get an opportunity to get uh, be a contributor next year. So uh, my uh, fears about the offensive line, or maybe concerns is a better word. As confident as Jay Bateman is, you know, the, I, I think they're going to take a little bit of a hit there. Uh, hopefully, they'll be able to do some things on the back end of the defense that will. Uh, help uh, protect those guys, mass that weakness a little bit. But sometimes there's just no substitute for having those studs up front, um, you know, at certain stages of the game. So we're just going to have to see how that develops uh, through the spring and fall camp and headed into next year. EJ, from the player's perspective, how do you handle knowing that you're, if you're one of the guys that's going to be on the team next season and you have to step up to fill in such such big shoes? I mean, what is your thought process right now during this offseason? And just how do you even approach that to try to fill in for the, the productivity that just graduated? I think just knowing the the caliber of guys that are that are at UNC, I think these these guys are, have been preparing themselves uh, not only this off season but last season. I mean, they had to step in sometimes and, and spare these guys. And just if you're a backup, you have to prepare as a starter. So I think mentally, these guys already have it down packed of what they need to do to get themselves ready for a game. The big thing in the off season is going to be conditioning. I mean, it's it's I won't say it's easy, but it's not as hard to get in shape if you know you're only going to play ten to fifteen snaps a game, but they need to be prepared to push themselves in conditioning, do a little extra uh, lifting, get that extra rep in, uh, go and watch the film even when no one's there or no one's telling you that you have to go watch film. You have to prepare yourself as if you're a starter. You, pre- you have to prepare yourself as if every game that you're preparing for is a championship year. And I know some of these guys won't be upperclassmen, but you need to have the attitude going in that this is going to be your final season, your final chance, and not take anything for granted. I know for myself uh, – when Coach Davis uh, and his new staff came in, I had no idea that I would end up being a starter, but learning from the upperclassmen, I already knew how to prepare, so it wasn't that big of a transition for me. So a lot of these guys have gone from being the best players in their area, the best players in their high school team. So the the level of confidence I think is going to be there. I think now that they just need to prepare themselves, prepare their bodies physically and prepare themselves mentally for how tough it's going to be being the main guy with the expectations being raised and all the other things they're going to need to do to take care of their bodies and make sure that they're in tune with everything that the coaches need from them in tune with the rest of their teammates so they can go out there and execute. But um, I'm really uh, eager and kind of anxious to see what 
what type of progress we see from some of those guys that were there last year, some of the transfers coming in, and even KBJ, who's uh, on campus now. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what they're going to do. But it, it's all about just putting yourself in the place that you've always wanted to be. All these guys have come in with the expectation that one day they be in the starting lineup. So now it's their chance to show and prove, uh, and hopefully they'll come through and do that. So, Jason, in the interview, right after Bateman was talking about having to replace those stars on the defensive line, he immediately talked about the rest of the defense, and I thought he put a lot of emphasis on the secondary, and he spoke about just how much talent he feels that they're going to have there and how that can play into the overall scheme. So from the coach's perspective, I mean, if you are expecting your linebacker core and the secondary to be two of your biggest strengths out of the whole defense, does that help alleviate maybe some of the potential struggles that you could have on the defensive line, especially early on in the season? I mean, it helps. I mean, the, the, the thing is, there's no there's no substitute for having dudes up up front. If if you if you've got guys that can beat blocks, get in the backfield, and cause havoc, then everything else is a lot easier on defense. And if you don't have guys, if you've got guys that are getting their butts kicked up front, then it doesn't matter how good you are covering because your teams are just going to run the ball down your throat. Why? Why would I pass if I can just if I can just block you into the linebackers? So you have to be good enough up front for the back seven to be able to benefit you and make you better by their by their being so good so all you know everything in football is synergistic if you've got a really good secondary it does help because what that what that means is okay if I feel like I can single cover if I can go zero coverage and I know that all three four guys that that are that are covering are going to be able to do their thing and I don't have to worry about getting beat deep then yeah, I can play you know eight nine guys in the box, and that's going to give me some numbers against the run, and I can compensate for uh, for for some weaknesses up front. But even but even then, if I'm not good enough up front to at least be able to handle my gap, teams are still going to push you around, and they're still going to be able to run on you even with even with numbers. So it helps, but it doesn't it doesn't mean that you can't that, that you can get away with being bad up front. I don't know that they're going to be bad up front. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in wait and see. I want to see what these, you know, youngsters look like. I want to see how much improvement has happened from some of the guys that were that were out there a little bit last year, uh, and and some of those guys did play quite a bit in the bowl game, and and there were some encouraging signs there. We'll look at some of that stuff as spring comes up. Uh, you know, we'll we'll evaluate some of that and, and show some of that on Inside Carolina as well. But the thing that that I think changes the most for him is that last year they basically were they, they could only play middle of the field closed coverages pretty much most of the year so that was that's where you got a deep a single safety in the deep middle because against most teams if they didn't have that guy there then it was basically bombs away they couldn't cover well enough to take away the, to take away the deep post which is you know an alert if you're going to play quarters or anything like that and they'd have given up 50 a game now they did some. They did mix in some some combination coverages and all that, where sometimes they'd uh, they would they would do some things on one side of the field that was not a not a true middle of the field close kind of coverage. And and they they worked they worked with what they could, but they were last year they were trying to scheme around stuff, <laughs> right? You've you, you've got guys that have limitations 
in pass coverage. And it's like, well, we can't let that guy get one-on-one and we can't let that guy get one-on-one. And we definitely don't want that guy in a one-on-one situation. So we're going to have to call the, you know, we've got these three options, which are going to keep that from happening. And then we're going to try to disguise it so that they can't get exposed. That changes when you have guys that you feel can actually cover. And they've got a few guys this that, that are coming in. I mean, Kyler McMichael is, is, is a really good prospect. Uh, you know, he's a guy that, that is going to contend to play. When Renee gets back, he's a guy that, you know, he, they were a different team against Miami when Renee was, was out there and in the, and, and against South Carolina, I don't think they beat South Carolina without Renee out there. So you get those guys back out on the field, you add Bryce Watts, you get a healthy Trey Morrison. All of a sudden you have guys that, that it's like, okay, look, I can put that guy in the boundary and I know I can one on, I can go one-on-one there. That means I don't have to constantly protect that. Well, now that means I can I can disguise here and I can bring some pressure. I can cause some problems. So instead of calling coverages to try defensively, essentially, and reactively, you can try to dictate to the offense and say, okay, we're going to do this to cause you problems. And if you're going to try to take advantage of that one-on-one, we're going to trust our guy. That changes everything. And, and, and one of the things that you'll see is, is – uh, is that that you didn't see at all last year because of lim- those limitations is you're going to see some some you know six defensive back type packages things like what Clemson did this year uh what Iowa State has done the last few years under John Heacock those kinds of uh multiple defensive back uh defenses with a three man defensive line you know play tight front and different things like that where you're all inside the the tackles and and forcing teams to run wide and then rally to the ball with the extra speed on the field and then cause some problems with moving those guys around and you're not sure who's in what gap. They're going to be able to do a lot of that stuff now that they feel like they've got the players in the back seven that can be depended on in those situations. And that changes the game. You still have to have three guys that you trust up front to be able to do that. But if they've got that, then th- then this is going to be much more fun to watch, especially for those of us who really like to watch scheme and, and pay attention to what's going on there. It could be a really fun year. Let's touch on the scheme just here in a second. But before we get to that, let me take a quick moment to talk about our friends from Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. If you're going to be on Franklin Street for one of the baseball games, because baseball season has started, you can head over to John T-Shirt's location there on Franklin Street, where they have been in business for decades. You, you can pick yourself up one of those sweet baseball jerseys. Love those things. They look fire every single season. If you can't make it to John T-Shirt, though, you can always shop online at JohnT-Shirt.com, where you can find the same great selection. You can also get excellent top-notch customer service, either there on Franklin Street or at JohnT-Shirt.com. And do not forget that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders, either online or in-store. You can get that code from the Tar Pit Premium Message Board or the Basketball Premium Message Board from InsideCarolina.com. So that's Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. So, Buck, when you were talking with Bateman, you know what kind of sense did you get from him about his excitement about being able to expand on the scheme going into year two? Because I think that's another 
common theme that we're going to see during this offseason is that last year, Bateman really held back his playbook, but he's going to be willing to open it up a lot more in 2020. So talking to him, what was your sense of, of his anticipation, his readiness for that? Well, you know, certainly in the interview, he went into some detail about uh, the limitations on his scheme because, you know, he, he's looking around uh, to put uh, an extra defensive back in and there's nobody on the sidelines to put in. Uh, you, you can think back uh, several games last year where they had uh, Greg Ross and DeAndre Hollins playing corner and, and Hollins is a good player, but he's not a corner necessarily. And, and instead they're going to have, you know, um, multiple guys that can all cover uh, Trey Morris and Storm Duck, Patrice Renee, Bryce Watts, Kyler McMichael, Miles Wolfork, and Cameron Kelly, the safeties, you know, that all those guys can play. And, and Bateman uh, emphasizes that what makes, you know, his defense run, the engine of his defense, is its diversity. Uh, he, he wants to have a lot of diversity in his defense. Uh, Jason and I talked about that a lot last year, even after Bateman was hired before he actually did any coaching at UNC is that, uh, the, the way he schemes on defense, um, it, you know, you just never know who's coming from where, but if you've got to play very vanilla, very basic defense on the back end then that takes a lot of that diversity off the table. And Bateman seems confident that he'll be able to do a better job uh, being more diverse this coming year because they're going to be better in coverage, number one, which will allow them to bring pressure from uh, more directions and from unexpected players and things of that nature. So, uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, obviously, as Jason said, you got to have some guys in there that can stop the run up front, but behind them, you know, and they've got some players that can run, you know, not just at, uh, in a defensive back, you know, like Chas Rat and, uh, you know, uh, Tamon Fox, some of those guys, uh, I'm interested to see how Chris Collins does, uh, this year. Uh, if you've got guys that can run on the edge so that you can clean up things if they go, uh, you know, to the uh, sidelines, and then and then you can be really multiple and diverse on the back end, uh, you can cause some teams, especially those that lean on the pass more than they do the run, a lot of trouble. So we'll just see, have to see how it plays out. But Bateman, I think, is genuinely – confident about how that back end is going to operate yeah bateman's confidence i thought really came through during that interview ej when you're looking at how the players themselves will be able to grasp the concepts going into year two how do you think that's going to come along because i think bateman himself even mentioned that there's usually a pretty big jump between year one and year two with any system and they talked about that in the longo interview as well so, you know, what can fans expect to see from the players and how they're able to really absorb what Bateman's going to be teaching them and apply it this coming up season? I think it's it's almost going to come natural to these guys. I mean, they've had a spring 
they've had training camp. They've had a whole season to play in this system. And as Coach Bateman mentioned, he's not sitting in in these meeting rooms when they're reviewing film and have to explain every single thing or every single detail about his scheme or what they're trying to accomplish. These players have heard this multiple, multiple times, and I can promise you that they've heard certain things at least 20, 30 times. So I think that they've, one, internalized this, and you can see that from some of the games that we've had on defense that they've internalized this system. Uh, so I think that they're going to be on the same page and kind of in tune with the coaching staff now. You're almost going to see some of the smarter guys, especially uh, guys like Patrice Renee, who's been in a college uh, football program for a long time now. He's going to be meeting with Coach uh, Bateman. He's going to know some of the things that he, he he's thinking. It's almost going to be like symbiosis, like – there's going to be recommendations that some of the players are going to make that maybe some things that Coach Bateman hasn't seen in his, in his scheme uh, that 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 going to become plays, going to become pressures, or become, going to become a certain way to disguise the coverage. And when players take ownership of a scheme that way, I mean, there's unlimited potential for what you can do it do inside of it. So I definitely think that these players are going to take full advantage of that. I, I know that they saw what they could be and saw some of the potential that they could have run in the scheme. And, and we've only just seen, we've only o- only seen a little bit of, of what coach Bateman can really provide in this scheme. And I think these, I think these players are going to, they know that they haven't really opened up that whole can of worms yet. So they're going to do what they need to do to show in this spring and during spring practice that, okay, we have a hold of what the base defense is. We know what the signals are going to be coming in. We know what you're going to be thinking on a certain down or distance. And now, now that they have that and everyone's in tune with each other and with the coaching staff, it's going to allow them to do a lot more exotic things from exotic looks to even bring in some of the same blisses that they have with just in a different line or different personnel. And coach Bateman mentioned that um, he's been looking at a lot of programs around the country and how they're playing five, six, sometimes seven DBs on the field. Um, and Jason mentioned earlier, it's a lot harder to do some of these things if the defensive line isn't where it needs to be, but um, I'm also excited to see what they're going to do. So I think that if um, we can get some pass rush, some of these freshmen can come in and really make an impact and we can get a rotation, something that we didn't really have last year. I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see a lot. And I I definitely think that with some of the experience that we had because of the injuries and a lot of players playing in the scheme is going to be able to allow some of these younger guys who may not have grasped the scheme as well as uh, some of the guys who played in the system to come in and just be themselves. They're going to know, um, that they, um, as Buck mentioned, they have guys around them that can run and maybe overcome some of those mistakes that they may make early on. So I'm excited about about what we could potentially see out here, but I definitely think the players are going to take ownership and they're going to really grasp this system, and we're going to see a, a lot more than what we saw last year. Let me ask you a quick follow-up, actually, uh, EJ. In terms of the players themselves, I mean, who are a couple names that you think can really step up next year? Because I know during the season, you know, you you were really a big fan of, you know, given some names on the podcast of guys that you felt needed to have big games and really improve their, their play if the defense was going to perform at the expected level. So going into 2020, just who are a couple of those guys that pop into your head at this point? Um, I think, uh, of course, Chaz Surratt, that's a given. I mean, that guy absolutely came in and and made a remarkable impact on our program. And I think on the ACC as a whole, I think a lot of uh, programs are going to look at what Chaz did this year. and they Maybe they have an athletic quarterback who has the size and has the uh, capability uh, and is smart enough to transition to that position. So Chaz is definitely, I think that's a no-brainer. So, of course, I have to start off with the easy 
uh, Jeremiah Gimmel, he really shined to me last year. I think that um, he was he was definitely a leader on defense. He was a very consistent player, and I never saw him take a play off. So I definitely think that he's going to be important. I think Storm Duck's going to be very important uh, for this defense this year. Uh, he's coming into his second season. Uh, this will be his second spring ball, so he knows what to expect. Uh, he, his preparation is going to go to a different level. I think his film study is going to go to a different level. He knows what it's like to play um, in the ACC and on a Division One level. So he's going to um, take what he did last year, uh, do some analyzation of his own play, uh, talk with the coaches, see what the things that he can do better. And I have nothing, I have the most confidence that he's going in this offseason and is going to prepare himself to, to have a great breakout season next year. So, And uh, Tamari Fox, I know um, he, he moved around a lot on the line, but I definitely think that he's going to be one of those players who's going to come in and, and have a really a real impact here. I think he's going to show up both in uh, against the run and against the pass. And I'm really expecting him to kind of fill that void inside that we're going to be missing from Aaron Crawford. So those those are some of the guys that I think are really going to show up and be the players that we're talking about on these podcasts, being ACC players of the week and different things like this. So I'm, I'm excited about what I can see from those guys. And so, Jason, in terms of the defense improving, Bateman talked about how you know he does a ton of film study. I think he told Buck that he is normally a coach that gets to the office very first thing, and that's kind of what he does before everyone else gets in and they really start the day, is that he just sits there and watches film. So how do you think the defense can improve next year? What are a couple of the areas where you think maybe they didn't maybe perform up to up to standards in 2019 that they are going to be looking to rectify in 2020? Well, there are a few things. I mean, one is the is is just going to be a result of of personnel changes in the secondary. I mean, they gave up way too much uh, and way too easily in in the secondary at times last year. So that that that's that's going to be a personnel thing more than anything else. But I do think that there were times where uh, some of the some of their ability to shut down the running game. Uh, I know that's something that that Bateman takes great pride in 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 his uh, in his scheme and in. Uh, in being able to get guys on the ground, he takes you know a lot of pride in teaching and, and drilling, tackling. And there were a lot of missed tackles last year that were uncharacteristic for a Bateman defense. But again, it's first year, and those guys are still learning how to how to do things that way. Uh, and I think that's that's the biggest thing is guys being able to to understand what they're supposed to do up front in the, in the overall scheme and in, given the given the different looks and different pressures and uh and and stunts and that sort of thing that he likes to call understanding where they're supposed to be how they're supposed to hit this or that and then making sure they get guys on the ground i think that there's still some that there's still a lot of room for improvement there uh they were able to cover over some of that with the dominance of strobridge but without that they're gonna have to they're gonna have to be uh, they're gonna have to clean up some of that gap uh, gap integrity at times, uh, and and that's true from uh, from Surratt as well. As good as he was, there were times where you know he he was a first year linebacker and and got better over the course of the year. But there's still a lot of room for that stuff to improve, which is which should be encouraging because uh, the defense was so much better. But there's there's so much that just a few little tweaks can get can get you better. Uh, I think it's more that and more execution of the scheme than anything in terms of, uh, you know, things that Bateman can do better as far as calling that you're going to see a bigger, bigger difference in, in year two in the execution side than, than the other, even though that you're going to see a lot more variation. Uh, the thing that, the thing that, uh, 
that changes for Bateman in year two, though, is, is also really significant. And that's that at this time last year, he is he's still in the position of evaluating what he's got. He's still he's watching film, but he's watching film of UNC's defense last year. Right. He's watching like, OK, what what play, what do I have to work with with these guys? Who do I have that I can that I can put in different positions? Uh, and he's working with his staff. These are guys that he hasn't coached with before, for the most part. I think all of them, actually. And he's got to teach them his defense and make sure that they understand how to do everything within the defense. And so all of that stuff is done in these first few months. That's where that's where he's at in February of last year. That's all done this year. You don't have to do any evaluation of your talent. You don't have to do go back and do any of that stuff. Now what you're doing is you're looking at, okay, these are some things that we, you know, these are some concepts, you know, and they'll, and they'll have, have some analytics internally on, okay, we didn't stop these few concepts in these key games as well as we could have. What could we, could we call or what have other teams been doing against those concepts that we might be able to borrow from in terms of, of, uh, of calls sometimes, or just in terms of, Oh, they've, they, you know, they're coaching this, this way. You can see by the tape that that's an interesting exchange. You know, maybe they're scrape exchanging this as opposed to something else, as, as opposed to something else, maybe they're boxing it instead of denting it. I mean, there's any number of things that you can do that change what you're doing up front. And it's always a cat and mouse game in terms of, offenses are developing to counter what defenses have been doing and then you know defenses try to uh to come up with answers for that so what you're doing at this point is you're looking a little bit at what you what you work what you need work on and you know are there some answers in there that you know I hadn't really thought about you're also trying to evaluate okay what what are other what what are some of the other innovative coaches that 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 I respect and, you know, he mentioned Georgia. I know Iowa State's another that, that he uh, he keeps up with. Some of these guys that, that you know, they're running innovative systems. What are they doing against some of these concepts to make sure, you know, that I want to make sure that I'm doing the same same sorts of stuff and that my wrinkles make sense based on where, where the game's going. And then finally, you go back and you reevaluate, okay, here's the teams at this point in the, in, in the year, you've got your, your uh, analysts and your GAs and you yourself, you're already looking at offenses that you're going to play against next year. You're already looking at some of that tape and coming up with preliminary game plans to get ahead of the game so that, okay, this is stuff we need to work on in the, in, in the spring to make sure that we're ready when we install that that week, that, that we've already covered it in the spring. You know, oh, we're going we're gonna to emphasize this, you know, for two days in the spring because we're going to need it in these two key games. All of that puts you ahead not so much in terms of like, oh, you know, you're searching for for answers and, you know, oh, there's a bunch of stuff that you can get better, you know, in terms of calls or whatever, but just in terms of, okay, when it comes to game planning, we're going to be a step ahead now than we were two steps ahead than we were last year, because we can do this, this, and this, and we can focus on these few things where those weaknesses showed up in our analytics. And when we were evaluating what we could do, this showed up that we need to we need to get a little better here. This is an area where we're going to have some concerns personnel wise, so we better be able to cover over this. Well, here's how this team covered over some of those weaknesses. So reminder of that, you take notes on that, and you start to make sure that you're ready to to install some extra stuff 
in spring to be able to cover cover over things or to be able to prep for specific things in the fall that you're going to need. And that's really different from just starting from zero where you're explaining everything to your coaches. And then you're, you know, in spring training guys from zero so that they understand just the basics of the defense. It's now refinement. And that's a, it's a totally different world now. Absolutely. Let's go ahead though, and take our last commercial break. When we get back, we'll go ahead and wrap up the podcast. So stay tuned. We will be right back after this. And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegel here with Buck Sanders, Jason Staples, and EJ Wilson. So, Buck, I wanted to get your thoughts on Bateman's comments about just, you know, his, his personality and the, um, the, the recruiting aspect that you asked him about, because I think that also ties in to the overall defensive staff as well, because Bateman was very complimentary of his assistant coaches. And, you know, there was a well, there was no turnover on the defensive coaching staff during this season. And I think that that's very, very important because Bateman, to me, seems like the type of guy where he has a very specific idea of how he's going to run this defense. And the fact that now in year two, he doesn't have to necessarily teach that to these coaches. Jason talked about how on the player side, it's the same thing. He doesn't have to go back and do that film analysis of, of the UNC players themselves in year two. So, I mean, how do you think the coaching staff is really coming together on that side of the ball? And, I mean, yeah, what do you think the, really the, the limit is for these guys, both on the field and in terms of their recruiting ability? Well, uh, John, uh, one correction, there has been a little turnover on the defensive staff, but in, in some ways, uh, in terms of continuity with Bateman, it may actually be an upgrade. Uh, Scott Boone uh, was uh, not renewed or let go by UNC, and they brought in uh, Javon DeWitt, who's ah, going to coach, right. coach outside linebackers. But uh, he, DeWitt is somebody who worked with Bateman uh, at Army and, and is familiar with Bateman's style of coaching and style of defense and schematics and all of that. So, but you're right. I mean, the overwhelming majority are back and just one guy coming in and somebody with already with experience in Bateman's defense. You know, the staff continuity is, is always a big deal. And as far as recruiting goes with the staff and, and, and Bateman's role in it, I think it's very valuable for Bateman uh, when they get kids on campus or, you know, in other situations where they might have to communicate by phone or what have you, that uh, they, they'll get Bateman on the phone or you know, sit the kid down in the office and Bateman can roll the tape and say, this is how we, we see using you in this defense. And this, this is the role we want you to play. And this fits your skill set. You, you could be really good doing this particular thing for us and, you know, enhance your prospects moving forward after college. Yeah, I, I think that's very important. And it seems to me that uh, defensive recruits are buying into it. Uh, they did very well in the class of 20 recruiting uh, defensive players, and they're off to a good start in that same area in 21. So, uh, you know, the three of their commits, uh, Gabe Stevens and Power Eccles and Dontavious Nash are all on the defensive side of the ball. 
so I think defensive recruits are responding to how North Carolina is going about recruiting guys on that side of the ball. And I, I'm sure Bateman plays a role in that by being able to, you know, specifically point out, here's how we're going to use you in, in this defense. And, and it's going to be exciting for you to play this position. So, uh, that, that's how I would, uh, you know, characterize their recruiting, uh, efforts and staff continuity, uh, during the all season. Yeah. So Buck, those are all, I, I think, outstanding points. I mean, that's, that's, uh, one of the things that stood out from this last class is how well they recruited this last class. And, and this next year in, in North Carolina is an unusually good year for talent. And I know that the, that the staff really believes that they're going to be able to, to get the top talent from North Carolina to stay in state in, in, in Chapel Hill, which is going to be critical. The thing that, uh, that I think is perhaps most interesting to me from the interview is you could hear, how hopeful he was about a few of the guys that they're bringing in up front. So these are guys, you know, you could see with uh, KBJ, with uh, Bingley Jones, you could see with some of these guys that are, that are already on campus that he's going, look, we're going to, we're going to give those guys every opportunity to play early, first of all. And, and you can tell, you know, that, that there's some hope that they're going to get some help from some of the young guys up front where, where they've got some weakness. And the other guy that he definitely went out of his way to bring up was Des Evans, who, as he said, look, we don't have a lot of natural, long, explosive pass rushers on this roster. When that guy arrives, hopefully he arrives ready to go because we're going to give him every opportunity to change games in that role. Uh, you know, not necessarily going to be in a starting role. Not, you know, I wouldn't expect him to be in a starting role at all. But uh, and not going to be a guy that you're going to expect a ton of of reps from, but certainly can carve out a role, a key role on the defense for specific situations and all of that. And that's something that I think they're going to be they're going to be look they're going to want to point to as the year goes if they're able to get some some early production from a Bingley Jones or from a Des Evans from some of these guys that's also going to going to go a long way in recruiting to say look we told these guys this would be where they could contribute right away and now you can see that and if you're ready to play early then you can come here the the the, the reps are there to be had as an early uh, uh, you know for the guys that have that kind of talent as an uh, an early enrollee especially but as a a freshman as a sophomore you're going to be on the field at North Carolina and you're going to not only play with with a good team and, and play with, with guys that can also play and can contend for a division title and, and challenge for more than that. But you're going to have a chance to, to play right away. Look at these guys. And I think that's a factor right now that that's something to keep an eye on coming into the 2020 season, especially on the defensive side, that they're going to be able, I think, to point to a few guys that are probably going to have a little bit of a role here and there, and they'll be able to point to those guys as sort of proof of concept for some of the young talent that they're, they're trying to get in the 2020 class. So let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast with this. Want to get your guys' thoughts on the play calling versus player execution aspect of defense, because I thought that was a great conversation in the longer round table pod between Jason, yourself, and then Mike Ingersoll. So I kind of wanted to, to hear you and EJ talk about that. So EJ, since Jason just got done talking, going to go to you first here, 
you know, when you're looking at the play calling itself, given whatever the, the situation is, I mean, a lot of fans, they always just immediately blame the coordinator, talk about how he's an, an idiot and can't get anything right, blah, blah, blah. But it could have just been that, look, someone just ran the wrong coverage. Someone did a twist when they weren't supposed to. So what's your take on that when it comes to really having an elite level defense? I mean, is that more so where just the play calling is on point every single time? Or is it that the players are out there executing their assignments almost perfectly every single time? I think it's a good mix of both. Uh, a defensive coordinator's job or play any play caller's job is to put players in the best position to succeed. At that point, your knowledge of the game, your knack, your athleticism, um, that's where that that's where that kicks in. Uh, there are a lot of plays this year where I felt like the play call was really good on defense and guys didn't uh, hit their gap as hard as they were supposed to or guys were caught out of place or guys just uh, flat out missed the tackle. So I... I I think that both are equally as important, but at the end of the day, if there's a bad play call, if maybe um, there's a call, the, the coach was, was expecting something or whoever is checking to a play was expecting something because of the formation of something they saw. I mean, th- there can be many, tr- there can be a lot of trick plays. There can be a lot of, of disguises on offense. I mean, we know how creative these offensive coordinators are getting. So that all comes down to player execution. It comes down to, to watching the film, to reading your keys, to being in the place you're supposed to be. So I, I would put a lot more weight on player execution because um, there are a lot of times when I was playing where I don't think the play call is the play call was as, as good as it was, as good as it should have been, or we were in the right positions, but our athleticism overcame that. And we were able to diagnose what we saw a lot sooner because we did what we were supposed to do uh, as far as studying film and just some of that experience. And with some of these guys on our defense who weren't expected to play or maybe some of the guys that were expected to redshirt, they have this experience. They know what they're seeing. Uh, for the most part, there hasn't been a lot of turnover in coaches within the ACC at least. So a lot of the things that they saw last year offensively, they're going to see this year. Of course, those players are going to be more experienced, and a lot of those offensive coordinators are going to be able to put in their own tweaks and fine tunes and maybe expand their playbook a lot. Uh, but I definitely think it's going to come down to player execution. Um, as we we talked to some of our pods that we've had, I really like what I see from Coach Bateman. His schemes are aggressive, and we only saw a little bit of it. So I think he's going to put these players in the right position. But as he mentioned, we need guys who are going to put pressure on the edge, guys who are going to be consistent against the run, and a defensive backfield who's going to be disciplined in their keys, disciplined in their coverage, and believe what they see. So if these guys are going out here and executing uh, and making plays, uh, and of course in any great defense, it's not all on the defensive coordinator. I mean, like teams like Clemson and LSU and Ohio State of the world, those guys, yeah, those defensive coordinators made good calls, but look at some of the players in those defense. You have guys like Chase Young and uh, I forget the, uh, the linebacker slash safety. His name escapes me from Clemson, but you have those great players who are able to use their instincts and execute and make those plays. So um, I think it's even, but when it comes down to it, the nuts and balls to it, it's all about what your players are going to execute on the field. If, if you have them in even something that's close to being able to be in position to make a play, if you have great players who are disciplined and out there doing what they're supposed to do, then you're going to have a successful defense. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. It, uh, by the way, that's Isaiah Simmons that you were referencing from, from, uh, from Clemson. And if you've got an Isaiah Simmons, a lot more calls look good. 
if you've got the got the dudes that you had had out there for the 2009 and 2010 UNC defenses UNC's defense looks really good and you know that those those that 09 defense y'all were in in cover two basic you know one gap cover two like 70 percent of the time it's the same call but it doesn't matter if you're executing the defense correctly and each time everybody's doing their job and then oh well when they do this then you have to check to this or you have to make sure oh they're going to try to split the split the safety. Well, that means the mic had better be back there, right? That means that means that you're going to have to have the built in uh, the built in stuff that players are going to have to execute within the confines of the defense. And I think I'm going to go back to what EJ said at the very beginning of this podcast. As much as anything, defensive coordination, being a successful defensive coach, is about buy-in because. Defensive football is about one thing, and that's getting guys on the ground. You got to, and that's that's the thing that makes football so. I think such a fascinating game is, you know, guys like me. I love the chess game part of it, but it's chess that has a physicality to it. It's a physical component to it, to where you've got a plan, but then you actually have to get. You know, it's the famous Customato statement that you know Mike Tyson used to talk about. Everybody has a plan until he gets hit. That's football. You have, and and one of the things I love about Bateman is that he recognizes this. I mean, at the at the at the coaching clinic last year, he got up there and he said, "Yeah, you know, we can talk all we want about scheme here. I mean, a lot of us, you know, we can all draw up really funky stuff on the board and you know how this is going to stop that or whatever. But it doesn't matter if your guy can't get him on the ground. So here's why we do what we do tackling wise every day." Here's why we run these tackling drills every day. And he talked about how that was really the foundation of his success as a defensive coordinator was how much emphasis they put into the fundamentals of, look, you're responsible for this gap. You got to make sure you're in that gap and you, and you better hit it with physicality. Oh, and when it comes to tackling in the open field, here are the three types of tackles that get made. And here's how we drill each one of them every day, because it's about that. And then it's about mentality and physicality. And so, so all of that is really execution. Now, the job of the, like, like EJ said, the job of the defensive coordinator and the defensive coaches is to make sure that, first of all, the players are prepared to execute. So if you don't practice tackling, and this, by the way, is one of the reasons why so many teams are bad at tackling. If you don't practice tackling with good drills that actually put guys in position to work on the things that you're going to need in, ga- in the game to be able to execute it well, then you're going to not you're not going to be a good a good tackling team. And then you say, well, you know, that's on the players for execution and all that. Yeah, but it's also on the coaches for execution because you watch the practice and you're like, well, when are you when are your guys going to get any better at tackling? The reason you guys suck at tackling is because you guys don't work it. Or at least when you work it, you don't work it right. You don't work it well. The drills that you do aren't helping. So there, that's part of it. And then the other part is every defense that can be drawn up, whether you're running quarters, cover two, you know, ver- variations of cover two, palms, you know, mini, mat, you know, all, all, sor- all sorts of different things. It doesn't matter. Cover three, you know, man free. All of those defenses are designed such that every gap is accounted for. And every player is covered and, you know, all of that stuff is built in. So in that sense, there's really no bad calls in that sense. But 
what this is where the 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 play calling part of it does come in and that's what you again piggybacking off of what ej said is the defensive coordinator has to make sure that he doesn't ask guys to do what they can't do you got to put guys in position to do what they do well you don't want to ask a corner who's a freshman and is really a nickel cornerback who's been thrust out there and is now playing the boundary spot as your number one corner because you've got everybody else hurt. You don't want to ask that guy to go one-on-one with T Higgins on the, on, on the boundary against, uh, against Clemson and press man. Like that's just stupid. Like, even though on the board, that's a perfectly schematically it, it works. Well, you know that that guy can't do that. And so that's the, that's the other thing. That's where the play calling part comes in as much as anything else is putting your guys in position to be able to make those plays and making sure that you're not asking them to do what they can't do. And Bateman, I think, takes it a step further and does a good job of creating indecision on the offensive side so that the offense can't dictate to the defense and say, oh, look, they're lined up in in cover in, in a two safety look. They're going to be in palms every time they do this. So here's what we're going to do against that. And then the defense is always reacting. He does a good job of training his guys to make sure that they're presenting different looks so that the offense has to actually react to the defense and and to take the initiative back a little bit. And so that's where you can help your defense a little bit with that. That's where, you know, you're you're tilting the balance a little bit more towards some of the play calling stuff that that can help your players. But again, it none of it matters if your guys don't actually respond well when when it comes time to to get the pads thumping. It it's still all about getting guys on the ground. Buck, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm going to ask you to try to follow up that analysis from Jason and EJ. And we can go ahead and wrap up the podcast with your thoughts about this topic of the play calling and player execution. And also just, you know, give us your overall takeaway from the interview with Bateman and and just whatever final kind of thoughts you want to leave the, the, the listeners with. Well, uh, to, to piggyback on what Jason said, uh, you know, Ross asked him about uh, Jacurius Conley. And, you know, he's uh, you know, got a lot of hype, you know, played well, you know, very highly ranked guy, uh, has a tremendous skill set. And, uh, you know, a- as if they would really need him next year, which, you know, with a lot, with all that they have coming back, I don't know that they necessarily do, but. Um, Bateman said, well, look, you know, he's got a pretty special skill set. If, if we can find something that he can do and he can do it better than anybody else on the team, situationally, we may put him in and have him do that because his skill set is suited better than anybody else's to this specific task in this specific defense. So, you know, that piggybacks on what Jason says about not putting guys in in situations or asking them to do things they can't do. Um, So, you know, piggybacking off of Jason, that's what I'd say about, uh, you know, utilizing players on defense and execution and play call and all that, you know, just overall, my takeaway from the, the whole interview was, uh, you know, fairly simple and straightforward. And I think we've touched on it already is that, you know, uh, you know, until we see it on the field, until we, you know, get some grasp of it through spring practice and, and, and spring practice is not going to give us a great idea, but it'll give us some idea. Um, 
how they stack up up front and and what their capabilities are there uh, it's going to be very hard to uh, pigeonhole this defense and say what their ceiling is and, you know I, I think we kind of know or you know have a handle on what the floor might be but the ceiling is going to depend on how quickly uh, the defensive line develops because they're so solid everywhere else I mean uh, you know, he talked about Eugene Asante a little bit, and, and here's a guy that's a really, really good football player that they'd love to get on the field, but right now he can't because he's playing behind Chaz Surratt, and Surratt's going to get all those snaps pretty much. Uh, and then he talked about Quadri Jackson. They have got depth now that they've seen on the field, which is another uh, advantage to the injuries they had last year. Now they know what Don Chapman looks like on the field. You know, he doesn't have to guess about that anymore. Or Cameron Kelly, if it's limited uh, opportunities he got, at least they saw him against live bullets on the field. So they, they have a little bit better gauge of what his capabilities are. And they know about a lot of the other guys because they had to play last year. Storm Duck probably wouldn't have played nearly as much if Renee hadn't gotten hurt. And, and it goes on down the line. So um, I think that it's going to depend. Their ceiling is going to depend on how good and how quickly that defensive line can develop and become a cohesive unit. And uh, I'm going to be really excited to see if any of these freshmen get in the game. Uh, It'd be really nice to see Devs Evans, as uh, Jason talked about, uh, be able to come in situationally and put some heat on the pass rusher. So, you know, I'm excited, uh, just like Bateman, he uses that word, you know, in like in every sentence to see what they're capable of this year. Uh, but it's going to be a work in progress. And I think 21 is going to be a different ball game. But uh, this year, it, there's so much that has to come together. And, and I like his confidence, and we'll just have to see how it plays out. We'll start to get our first look here pretty soon in March. So according to Buck Sanders, realistic fans think 2021. You heard it here first, folks. That's not what I said. (laughs) All right, y'all. We've been talking for almost an hour now. And I mean, realistically, I feel like we could probably talk for a whole hour more about this defense and Jay Bateman himself. But we've got a long offseason, so we can definitely address this topic a few more times between the first game against Central Florida. So I'm going to go ahead and call this one to an end. Thank you all for talking with me tonight, and we will talk again soon. Thanks, John. Enjoy it, Jason and EJ. Thank you. Have fun. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.